All right, so this morning, we are looking at blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. I'm just going to read the first bit of the Beatitudes, because uh, kind of makes sense if you read that bit first. And so it goes like this. Now when he saw the crowds, that's Jesus, he went up on the mountainside, and he sat down. Oh, yeah, sat down. And his disciples came to him, and they began to teach them, saying, blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, it's quite a statement really, isn't it? I mean, tell me, who here wants to see God? Let's just let's have a raise of hands. Who wants to see God? <laughs> oh, that's, that's quite a few. That's a good sign, really, because otherwise there's no point being here. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so seeing God, I mean, we get to see God, according to this, it, with our own eyes in his pure, pure, his pure perfection. I mean, you know, just being allowed to see God and being able to see him with our own eyes, be breathtaking, wouldn't it? It's not, it's not something that we can just look over. Now, I'm just going to get a little scenario for you. Imagine you, uh, you want to see your favorite celebrity. Now, I mean, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? I mean, I've, got, I've got a few in mind that I'd like to see. But uh, a few years ago, I was in Ikea. I've only ever been to Ikea once. But when I was in Ikea, I saw somebody from one of my favorite shows that I used to be as a kid. Now, does anybody used to watch CBBC? Anyway, all the kids have gone out. <laughs> That's a bit awkward, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I used to watch this show called Sarah Jane Adventures, which kind of went on from Doctor Who. Now, it's all right, we, do, we don't watch Doctor Who here because that's like really nerdy. But, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, right. But yeah, so Sarah Jane Adventures, I used to love this show. And there used to be this character called Rani. Now, Dan is, well, Rani was. She was quite a young lass about my age. Now, Dan, when me and Dan were talking about this, he thought I fancied Ronnie, but he's, he's lying. She's pretty, but it don't matter. But I saw, I saw this girl called Ronnie, and I thought to myself, oh, I've seen someone famous. It's amazing. So I did the creepy thing where you get as close as you possibly can to uh, behind all the stalls and behind all the seats. But it was, in a sense, it was amazing to see someone that even though they weren't that famous, they were just a little bit famous, and you just felt that kind of amazement for a second. You see, here we're talking about seeing God, not just some celebrity, not even seeing someone really big like Taylor Swift or Tom Hardy. We're talking about seeing <laughs> the King of Kings, an awesome God, this, the God that we look up to. So seeing God, well, what can it really mean? We can see God in visions and in dreams. I mean, seeing, this, seeing him there before us in a vision, I mean, it'll be absolutely mind-blowing. There are plenty of people in the Bible who have had visions of God. I mean, I'll give you a little example. In Kings 22, verse 19, Mich- oh, I forgot, I pronounced this one. Micaiah has a vision of God, which goes like this. Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him by his right and by his left. I mean, that's pretty cool, if you ask me. 
Meokai has a magnificent vision of God on his throne with all of heaven by, by his right and by his left. I mean, that's the whole of heaven's hosts. I mean, it's such a powerful and humbling picture of the God of whole creation with legions of angels standing by his side. I mean, we're not talking about a few angels. It's the whole host of heaven. It's thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of angels. But you see, as amazing as that vision is, and many others in the Bible, the verse we're looking at says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We will physically, literally see God. Now, you might be wondering when or where, I mean, how is this even possible? Well, in the Bible, only a few have seen God. It's a, bit, a, bit, it's a pretty rare occurrence for someone to see God. But I'll give you an example. Moses, he saw God. But you see, there was something special about Moses. In the book of Numbers, he was described as the most humble man on earth. We're not talking about anyone here. We're talking about the most humble man on earth. But you see, despite the fact that he was the most humble man on earth, he wasn't even allowed to see God's face. God says to Moses in Exodus 33 verse 20, he goes, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Instead, God goes on in verse 23 and says, You will see my face, no, you will, you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Okay, so I'm sure you're a little bit confused by now because it's like we can see God, but we can't see God because it don't make sense. But it's okay, don't worry. We'll get to that bit. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so, oh, so the pure in heart, they can see God. But you see, people, it says here that people die when they see God. I mean, that in itself is scary enough. Just seeing God, it eliminates us from life, from existence, because he is so pure compared to us. It's just so, the question is this, how do we see God? How, how do we see God? If it says here we can see God, how do we see him? Well, I'll give you a little hint. It's in the pure bit. It's only the pure in heart that will see God. But surely then you might be thinking, how hard is it to be pure in heart? I mean... What do you have to do? Well, if we look back, the most humble man on earth, who I'm assuming was a very pure man, he wasn't even allowed to see God's face. This man who God picked to lead the Israelites, God's own people, out of a promised land. Uh, no, out, no, he wanted to go into the promised land, out of slavery, a, nev what, a seemingly never-ending slavery, into the promised land. If God has picked this man and he cannot see, his see God's face, then surely we can't even see God's face. Or we can't see his back or even be in his presence because none of us here are pure. Nobody here, including me, everyone, we just don't fulfill the criteria of being pure in heart. But you see, in fact, in the whole of history, there was only ever one pure man, just one, and his name was Jesus. Jesus never did anything wrong. He never rebelled against God. And as it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. For Jesus' purity, think of it this way. When gold mints refine gold, 
they say how pure it is with a figure called the millimissimal fineness. Just call, I'll call it the fineness because it makes it a bit simpler. <laughs> Which shows the purity of gold as parts per thousand. The finest gold ever produced was in 1957 which was 999.999 parts per thousand. I mean, that's pretty pure. But think of it, Jesus, as this way, a thousand parts per thousand. It's humanly just not possible. He's just so pure that we can't be like that. But you see, the thing is, is that Jesus was God, and God himself was pure. And he himself, Jesus, even says he was God. In John chapter 3, no, John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. He, yeah, I and the Father are one. I mean, it's just a statement there. I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. Jesus is completely human, and he's completely God. And because he is God, he has seen God. God in the form of Jesus was the only person to have ever have and kept a pure heart. And he's the only one to have seen God. And he even says it himself, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Jesus is the perfect representation of what having a pure heart looks like. Never doing anything wrong in the eyes of man or in the eyes of God. Following and doing God's perfect will. That's what a pure heart is. We ourselves, we can't achieve purity of our hearts because our hearts are already impure and messed up. No matter how many times we try to be pure, no matter how much good stuff we do, it cannot account for the bad stuff we do. You can't just pile good stuff into ourselves because the bad stuff's already there. It doesn't push it out. That's not how it works. The good just doesn't cancel out the evil. It's like never washing your clothes and then spraying Febreze on it or something. It just, <laughs> it just masks the bad smell. It's not going to do anything good, really. <laughs> don't do that. That's not, don't do that. <laughs> But you see, our world's a broken, messed up one. You just have to look on the news today and you'll see all kinds of suffering and evil going on in the world. It's just, yeah. But you see, it's not just the bad people on the news that fall short of seeing God. It's me and you as well. We all fall short of seeing God. We all fall, sh fall short of the purity of heart. None of us can see God because we all mess up. We all laterally have a sinful behavior, which means we keep on rejecting God and going our own way. But despite the fact that all of us reject God, we all sin, we all do bad stuff. Just as it says in Psalm chapter 14, verse one to three, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from the heaven on all of mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. 
all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. I mean, you know, that in itself is sad. So sad. No one seeks God. It says here that nobody, no human by themselves, seeks God. But do you know what? Despite all the bad stuff we do, despite the fact that we mess up, despite the fact that we reject God and never look for him, he still loves us anyway. And he wants you to be his son or daughter. He wants to adopt you into his family. No matter how major, how minor, whatever you've done, God still loves you. There are plenty of people I've met with doing the CVM stuff. Some of them are ex-neo-Nazis. Some of them are drug addicts. Some of them, like even Justin Reese Larkham, he was a gambling addict and gambled everything away. I mean, that's a major thing, but God still forgives that. And even if it's just minor stuff, even if it's just lying at work, just a little thing, God still forgives that too. It doesn't matter what it is. God loves you. You see, God is completely complete. He's just one. He has more power than we could ever humanly know. The one true God that created heaven and the vast expanse of space, everything in it, he loves you. He created everyone here individually. He don't just create us as like a big mass of people. He makes each one of us. He makes our hearts. And even though we're corrupt, there is a way to get a pure heart. There is just one way to get the pure heart. Because God loved you and he wanted you back from evil, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the guy we were on about earlier, the only guy who ever had a pure heart. Now Jesus lived on this earth around 2,000 years ago and he lived a perfect life. He never gave up his pure heart to anything evil. He was tempted so many times, but he kept it. He just didn't give in to a single sin, not one. Now you might be thinking, God doesn't understand what, um, what it's like to be tempted because he's God, he, he doesn't fall into sin, right? Well, no, he, he can. He has a possibility of doing Trust me, it says in uh, Hebrews 4 verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Unlike us, he did not sin. So that we could have a pure heart, Jesus died on a cross with the nails through his hands, with the nails through his feet, and as he painfully suffered, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they have done. Jesus died in our place so that we didn't have to suffer for eternity in hell. Instead, all our sin and shame was piled onto Jesus. He bore the wrath that we deserved. He died so that you and I could live eternally with God. And then, to prove that he'd beaten death, he rose again from the dead on the third day to show that he was, well, winning. And you know, that sacrifice of one pure man, Jesus Christ, meant that when you and I, when we ask for forgiveness from God, for the forgiveness of everything we've ever done, not just yesterday's stuff, but everything, 
we are forgiven. We become God's people. And in return for our rubbish, bad heart, our impure heart, we get Jesus' clean, pure heart. But most definitely, we don't deserve this mercy. We don't deserve this grace. But God loved us so much, just like children, just like his own children, that he sent his one and only son to die in our place so that we could inherit eternal life and have a pure relationship with God. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, it says, God works in us like a refiner's fire. The original Greek word for pure that was used in blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God is the word katharos, which can refer to that which has been purified by fire. Pretty much, God burns away our impurities and makes us stainless and clean for him. But you know, once you know Jesus and you have the pure heart within you, it doesn't stop there. We're not free to go out and do what we want again. We're not, we're not here just to go back to what we did yesterday. We're meant to grow more like Jesus. You see, being pure in heart, it doesn't mean we're meant to... No, being pure in heart, it means we're meant to be Jesus' people. He's meant to be at our center. We're not meant to be worldly anymore. We just need to seek after God. As it says in Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Although don't think that being good, you're all right now. That you can just save yourself after what Jesus has done. Rather, we must rely completely on God for purity. And we must constantly and earnestly seek God and ask for forgiveness every day, every day for what we've done against God, for what we've done against others. We ourselves cannot, com cannot keep a pure heart in us as we're just human. We naturally fall into bad stuff. But putting your complete faith and trust in Jesus to save you gives you his pure heart. So how, how do we be pure? What, what are like pure things to do? Well, the definition of pure in the Oxford Dictionary is this. Not mixed or adulterated with any other substance or material. For us, this would look like being clean in our hearts and devoid of sin. A pure heart with no contamination of evil. But purity of our hearts is very strongly influenced by what we put in it. In Matthew 6 verse 22, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. This means that whatever you are seeing or doing with your time, that filters into our hearts. So for example, if you were to fill your time doing lustful stuff, as uh, I have to put it, uh, you'll fill your heart with all sorts of impurities 
that will affect your mind, will affect what you do. If you keep on doing lustful stuff, looking at people lustfully, going on the internet, you, probably, you know what I mean, doing stuff that's most definitely not pleasing to God, then your, your mind will just become a hive that produces all sorts of sexually impure and adulterous thoughts. It's most definitely not God's place of dwelling. Another example, if you cheat a bit at work, cheat a bit at school, I mean, it's just a little bit, you think it's all right. But if you keep on doing it, copying someone's homework because you don't want to, do your own, or if you keep on filling in your timesheet just a little bit, a little bit wrong, make yourself look good, then really, you're not just... But being dishonest, it corrupts the heart. Even just doing it once or twice. But if you keep on doing it, if you keep on being dishonest, it'll corrupt your heart. And that's also not a dwelling place for God. And then, as time goes on, it might just build up to bigger and bigger lies if you, if that's how it works for some people. Ultimately, giving in to the unclean stuff, dishonesty, self-indulgence and addiction would push purity out. Uh, well, it yeah, push, push purity out of your heart and leave your body full of darkness, just as it says in the verse before. But as well as feeding impure things into your heart, it can also affect your actions as well. And a list of these, which I feel like best sums it up, is given in Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21. It's the bit that kind of goes with the uh, fruits of the Spirit, the acts of the flesh. So the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you see, it works the other way around too. If we spend time reading God's word, praying, reading books about the Bible, reading books about God, and dwelling on him and who he is, then we are feeding pure things into our hearts, the purity of God into our hearts, which results in pure actions, in pure thoughts, and stuff like that. What we feed into our hearts affects our hearts. What we do with our time, what we look at, the things that we just do day to day, it can affect our hearts. So if we do pure things, pure things will go into our heart. If we do evil things, even just little bad things, it just it feeds just that little bit into your heart. If pure goes in, pure comes out. If evil goes in, evil comes out. Now we ourselves, we cannot naturally maintain a pure heart due to our human nature to sin. But by relying on God, by relying on his saving grace, we must repent and turn our backs to sin. Even when we get stuff wrong, we must get back up and we must carry on the race. God isn't expecting us to be perfect, just to follow him, obey him, pick ourselves up and carry on when we fall. Now someone who was trying their utmost best to, look, to be pure in heart would look like Jesus. 
in the way they act, in the way they do life, in the way they speak, in the way they interact with people. They would be compassionate, loving, merciful, a servant, gentle, patient, have self-control, and many other good things. They would have God at the center of their lives, and they would put others before themselves. God loves you without end. But when you ask for forgiveness, and Jesus takes the punishment we deserve in his place, we need to change our lives and be pure in heart. Rather than go back to the selfish nature of this world, we must be pure in heart. God doesn't save you from the darkness just for you to go back there tomorrow. God is calling you to a life of purity. And that means being meek, means being humble and submissive to God. But I'll tell you what, but I'll tell you what being submissive God, to God looks like. It means breaking the chains of slavery, of sin. Breaking the chains of the slave master that is darkness and evil. So seeing God, it's physical. But when will we see him? When will we see God? I mean, it's an exciting thing, isn't it? We get to see God and we feel excited now. <laughs> it's feeling good. But I'll tell you, it ain't right now. It's in the afterlife. Because now we're still not completely pure in heart. We can try our best and we can trust God. But due to our human nature to fail and to sin, we're still not completely pure. But you know, when we leave this world, when we go on to the next, when we go on to God's world, it says in Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The pure in heart will see God. Not quite yet, but when our time on earth is up, when this earth crumbles away, the pure in heart, those who have relied on Jesus as their saviour, they will see God in all his splendour, in all his glory, in all his power. And God will be with them and he will dwell with them forever. God will be with us and he'll dwell with us forever. Amen.